growing up up until even the last couple years, even more recently than that, even this last year, I always couldn't like say, I want to have this level of independence or this much money or this type of house. And through music, I'm going to get that. But I could never really see it, which means I never really believed it. But as of this last even, you know, year or so, it's like, oh, this is not only possible, it's happening. And now I see it. This is My Years Through My Ears, a series about influential songs that have shaped influential lives. Each guest breaks down the soundtrack to their life story, picking the most personally impactful songs to represent each chapter along the way. My name is Andres Tardio, and today's guest is Ilmec. He started his career as a battle rapper and as a musician. That's how I got to know him. And lately, it's been cool to watch him step into this animation world with his rap-off series. You've probably seen those clips uh, go viral where a dog will battle a cat or a mustard bottle battles a ketchup bottle inside of a refrigerator. (laughs) It's been cool to watch him uh, jump into that intersection of music and art and NFTs and the Web3 world. That's been dope. So I sat down with Ilmac to talk about his life story through the music that he loves most. Like I do with every guest on this show, I asked him to pick two songs to represent each chapter of his life. And then we broke it all down. So we talked about everything from childhood to Scribble Jam to his newfound success. So yeah, without further ado, here is My Years Through My Ears with Ilmac. Let's start from the beginning, the preteens, which is like zero to 12. What was the first song that you picked and why? Run DMC, talk too much. I'm not <laughs> I'm not that old, but here's the thing, right? When I was about four or five years old, like super young, my mom had lived with my grandma and uh, my grandma like would go yard sailing and she had got uh, this thing that held probably like 50, 100 tapes or whatever. It came full of tapes and there was two hip hop tapes in it. One of the tapes was a mixtape called Jammin'. On that tape was all the old school hits from Roxanne to like, you know, Curtis Blow, Basketball to Heavy D, Coolin' It, all these songs, all the classics, right? Talk Too Much was like my favorite song. And I'm like five years old, whatever, going around like word for word. I knew that song, you know? And this was before, again, I owned any music of my own. So like my music experience at that point was whatever my mom listened to. And she was really musical. Like she'd sing in the car and all these things, you know? So like 90, a lot of 90s and 80s type songs from Prince to, uh, you know, I don't know. Marcy's playground, like all these things. And that was like my music exposure really at that age. But this, it like gave me opportunity where my grandma's like, you can have these tapes. And whenever you want to listen to the Walkman, just come and get me or just go grab it over here. And you talk too much. I used to go around as a little kid, like you talk too much. You never shut up. I said, you talk too much. You never shut up. And my mom's like, what the hell? 
what are you doing? I remember spitting quotables like the whole, uh, when the cat got your tongue, I said you took it right back. Your mouth is so big. One bite could kill a Big Mac. You talk to like thinking like that was the coldest shit ever, you know? And so that song specifically like sticks out in my early like my earliest years, hip hop, like had a special place, you know, even though it would be, you know, six, five, six, seven years before, like I owned my first CDs or anything like uh, that was like really what first hooked me. And that song was, was a big part of it. You know, I couldn't spit it word for word now, but I definitely still know chunks, you know, <laughs> I mean, like that was, that was the really the first thing as a child that drew me in like, wow, hip hop is different. Hip hop is like my music. It's not my mom's or my dad's or nothing like this speaks to me. And how interesting that it's like, a diss track basically like it's a battle <laughs> track. oh yeah I, I didn't even ever make that connection yeah like my inception into hip-hop was like battle related <laughs> punchline related because there's some punchlines on there the uh your mouth is big size extra large and when you open it it's like my garage <laughs> i said you talked to like i loved that so that that's pretty funny i never even connected the dots like my genesis songs were battle style it was like foretelling my future <laughs> in a way all right uh so what was the second song that you picked tupac me against the world and there was a it was a lot of songs like that was really hard to choose from but a, all of them any of them were going to be Pac. but me against the world stuck out because you know like you know my grandma my mom's side over on my dad's side like you know, kind of around the same age, like preteen, like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, like living with him, I like stayed with my, like my parents split when I was super young. So it's like, you know, my mom and us, when I'd visit on weekends, were like at my grandma's and then on my dad's for a period of time was the same thing, living at his mom's. And um, I have like four uncles and my dad and like, three of the uncles lived in the house, my dad, me, and I'm the oldest. And um, my youngest uncle is only about uh, 10 or 11 years older than me. And uh, he was like a huge Tupac fan. For one, he was like in the midst of it, like in his late teens, MTV nonstop, and he didn't work. And so even when my dad would go to workers, it's like me spending a lot of time with him and him listening to MTV and specifically like he had a huge, you know, speaker system in his room with like, you know, subwoofers and all the like 90s, like, you know, stacks of equipment that I wouldn't even know what they do now. But uh, he used to, Tupac was the goat in the house to him, you know, and so he was always bumping Pac. And that was a big influence because I like super looked up to my uncle Danny specifically. And he's always like, Tupac, greatest ever, blah, blah. And like, I just, when I think about that era, like that song comes to mind specifically um, because of the vibe and it's that West Coast vibe, but it's like emotional and vulnerable in a way, but still like super fly. Like, it's just me against the world, baby. Like in that West Coast whistle on the giant, like that was, uh, another big contributor like even before i like really owned all my own any you know any of my own music like that came out in what 
90, 94, 95, 95, probably. I was probably like nine years old or something when that dropped. And that was right around when I was like, okay, I want to start collecting my own tapes and my own things, you know, and like really take ownership of this. And that song was pivotal in that era. 10 years old, listening to that, like it is me against the world, you know? Yeah, no, it's a beautiful track for that reason. And it, it just feels very relatable. And I'm sure going through the kind of challenges that you were going through that you kind of described there, I'm sure that w- that was a, a saving grace, kind of like a safe space within the music that is your own, where someone's expressing these ideas that you're feeling and in and, and your heart and your mind at that time, given those yeah. changes in your life. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And, and Pac, like, you know, if you ask me GOAT's favorite rappers of all time, like I'm, I'm like team Pac, like he's always had a special place and it comes from, you know, my origins in that era specifically. And uh, yeah, even his way of just, you know, the voice inflections, almost like, you know, pastor-like in ways and rhythm it was like powerful to me especially at that age when some of the content i might not even just be digesting fully you know but it's like you can feel it there's a visceral reaction i think so let's start from the top zero to 12 where were you born and where were you raised during that time period and, and kind of what was life like around then uh i was born in portland oregon my parents split when I was around three years old and I was sort of back and forth. Like I lived pretty full time, like with my dad at his mom's house, like at my super young, um, you know, up until probably like fourth grade or something and running around with all my uncles and stuff. And then on weekends and then the bulk of the summer, I was at my other grandparents' house uh, that my mom had lived in. Like both my parents were really young. There, I think my mom was, I always mess this up, 18, maybe 17. I think she was 18 when I was born and my dad was 19. And um, it's definitely one of them nostalgic things where when I, I look back and think about running around and annoying all my uncles and, <laughs> and stuff, would like, you know, when I think about it, it's like I was the oldest child of, you know, that my parents had, but. I always felt like my uncle Danny was like my older brother because, you know, he'd watch me all the time. And I like got put on by music or a lot of music by him. Um, and that's like the first things that come to mind are running around, annoying all my uncles, like middle school, going through that. And the the summers like it was still is all North Portland, like my uh, dad and my grandma lived in like a neighborhood called the Kenton in the neighbor and in the Kenton neighborhood. And there was like the Kenton elementary, which doesn't even exist anymore. Um, Went to there through like fifth grade. And then on the weekends, it's still North Portland, but it's over like an interstate Prescott area, which is just totally like uh, the house isn't even there anymore. It's like three row houses now, like where my, uh, where my grandma's house was. Um, Yeah. And she actually like, RIP. She actually recently passed uh, this last year. But and so I even through that, it's kind of fresh because I've been thinking about a lot of those memories of growing up in that house with her and my um, grandpa Joe and everything. And as a side note, because this was preteens, I specifically remember 
at my grandma's house, my grandma LaDonna, there was in uh, Grandpa Joe, there was a poem in the kitchen. The poem rhymed. And I remember like as I was really getting into rap more and more around like 10, 11 years old, I uh, memorized the poem in the kitchen. It was about family. And I remember telling my grandpa Joe, like, hey, listen to this rap because he knew that, you know, he's seen me listening to rap all the time. And I'm like, listen to this rap. And I like wrapped the poem that was in his kitchen, <laughs> which he probably sees every day, but didn't really pay attention to. And um, he I remember specifically him being like the first adult that was like, he's like, that's really good, Miho. Like, you should do that. Like, you, you're really good at that. And then me coming clean, like it was it was the poem it's in the kitchen like feeling bad <laughs> essentially but him telling me like no but you you have a gift me like you should do that and now i remember the first time i felt really you know seen by an adult like my parents are always encouraging and stuff i remember showing him like rapping that poem and him telling me like you you should stick with that you should do it and i was like transformative for me the last ghostwriter was uh, the poem. From the- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now that's beautiful. Let's move into the teens. What was the first song that you picked for your teen years? And I know this was the hardest era for you, but <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, it was so tough, but I had to go with uh, DMX Rough Riders Anthem. The story behind that, you know, the brief summary is early on having those tapes and and access to that and access to my uncle's cd collection with tupac and stuff like i i had started like collecting some tapes too from friends or you know wherever i could snatch them up i had like spice one tapes and comrades which is like some west coast shit that goes back and like mac and rob which is like some local portland shit and then i remember wanting my first cds like hey and it was like coming up to christmas time and like you know everyone's like what do you want for christmas and all i wanted was cds and i had like a laundry list of what i wanted and one of the first um cds i ever owned there was a group of them that i remember specifically but that i got one christmas and the first one that made the largest impact was dmx's dark and hell is hot it just came out like earlier that year or whatever. And um, I got that album off the strength of like that song coming out. I was watching MTV nonstop, all those things. And that song, like my relationship was Pac with, with Tupac was almost like a vicarious. Like it was like through my uncle and it's like that tied. I loved it, but it wasn't like my thing yet, you know? And then, then he passed and I was still like a huge fan and it was sad, but it, it, it didn't, um, I was so young that I didn't really realize the gravity of it. And then as I transform, like that year or two after is when I really took ownership, I got this new album and it was like DMX in a way became like, my Tupac, you know, uh, my, like I said, my uncle, it was, there was almost like I knew Pac through him, whereas like DMX was me going out and that becoming like my personal artist, you know, looking back now, there's a lot of similarities that people compare Pac and DMX to, you know, from just their like almost preacher like delivery and powerful persona and um 
their vulnerability too. That's one thing they had in common that I think I was so drawn to was they made vulnerability seem cool and seem like a strength. And so that song was, was my introduction to grab his album. And when that shit hit, I mean, you know, as well as anyone that shut everything down. So that was real big for me because it was the first part of that first batch and the most influential sort of song where it's like now I'm directly influenced in taking ownership of like my choice of music. And so it was that, I think I had like Life and Times, uh, Carter volume two. And I think that was it with, with uh, Hard Knock Life on it and everything. And then I had uh, Method Man to Cal 2000. Uh, and then like Rakim, 18th Letter. And those are like kind of, oh, and then a hip hop source, source awards compilation. And that was like my first batch of like CDs that I owned, you know, that I really nerded out over and knew, memorized all the booklets and credits and all of that. Those are like my first five. And DMX was my favorite at that time. Rest in peace to the dog. Yeah, amen. Amen. And uh, the, the source compilation was the new version of the jamming tape. <laughs> yeah it was yeah i didn't even think it had like that one i had i remember i only remember a song or two on it but i remember it had just a time stamp it it had um i think cameron and mace horse and carriage um damn it had uh, some others that's just the first i don't know why that's like the first one i remember <laughs> let's talk about your next joint what was the second song that you picked for your teen years eminem rock bottom so from the gate, right, when Eminem dropped his single, My Name Is, I had, was already like writing and, and writing raps and like started to like show just a couple people, close friends and stuff that I was rapping. So I'm not going to lie. When he first dropped, I was a little hater. Like I was a little like, I'm, I'm the like white, like the white rapper. Like this, this is corny. Like, and, um, but I still was like, this is kind of crazy. Look, this is different because his whole style at the time was like, wait, what, what, what is this? What's going on? And um, I thought it was cool though. But then I heard um, one of my boys had his album and he was bumping it and I heard rock bottom. And that's like, I immediately ran to LimeWire. I was hooked because again, much like, you know, the conversation about the things that drew me to artists like Pac to DMX, like this specific song made being vulnerable cool. And there was so much of it that I related to because that song had like a, almost a, um, it had a spiteful tone, like resenting, you know, the people who had it better than you. And regardless of how petty that might seem, it's super relatable. And as a kid, you know, um, you know, I grew up in a household that was, you know, there was, I had a bunch of, uh, you know, I had like three siblings in the household. We always had like some family member living there and it was, I had seen my other friends places and everything. And like, was almost it, like we, it was a thing where we couldn't even have company inside the house. You know, we kind of had a hoarders situation going on in parts of the house. And it was like, uh, a spot of shame for me. And, um, you know, like think lyrics like uh, growing up in a house with no furnace, unfurnished, like we didn't have a furnace. We had a fireplace, <laughs> you know, and like this big house and like those things like made me really connect. And then like seeing other people um, around me who sort of had it, you know, 
quote unquote better or or more well off and kind of in a way resenting that, like not even realizing it maybe, but like feeling that shame, you know, this song sort of became the theme song for that feeling and gave a voice to that. And that was definitely a big influence at the time. No, no, that definitely makes sense. You know, a lot of times people have associated you with like multi-syllable rhyme schemes and stuff. And obviously Eminem is uh, in that lane also. Like people think of him and they think of, oh, he's such a technical rapper. Mm -hmm. But I think this song is what drew me to him as well, because of course he does that. But in this track, you can see where kind of the technical aspect is combined with a purpose with a message with like a narrative a personal storytelling uh quality that i think is good and i remember that standing out the first time i heard it was like wow this is kind of like what you're talking about the vulnerability that i love but it also combines that with what he's known for in, in the writing yeah. first line is i feel like i'm walking a tightrope without a circus net popping percocet i'm a nervous wreck wreck. i deserve respect but i work a sweat for this worthless check i'm about to burst this tech as somebody Somebody to reverse reverse this this debt i was always like what (laughs) like that just the syllable because at that time too is when i was becoming like technically infatuated with like i was just starting to sort of learn writing and stuff and i'm like like that was like mind-blowing you know there are a lot of rappers who can put words together that rhyme really well, but at the end of the day, it's not saying anything. It's uh, it's telling you I'm better than you at rapping, or yeah. that, and that's kind of it, right? Mm-hmm. With this though, what he's saying within those things is still sharing a story, being relatable. It's a different layer that I think people look past sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I wondered how that impacted you at that time, especially at such a formative age and then becoming such a technically gifted writer. Um, but then also being so vulnerable and honest in your own music. And I think that's the balance you strike really well. That balance is very difficult is, is that's, that's what makes the greats great. And I feel like you, yeah. you struck that. So I wondered how that impacted you, particularly because you picked this song and not my name is right. Like there right, was, right. Pick this track. Yeah, yeah, this it, it, that song is what really sold me. Um and and I think allowed me to like let my guard down like and get past that sort of like you know, people I think were already at that time starting to be like, "Oh, little Eminem." Like because I was rapping and he was just that big. And so, um I think that song though is what put let my like defense wall down of like, "Okay, I got to I got to l- listen more." And classically throughout his catalog like my favorite moments are like of course there's a million great punchlines and lyrics but those like vulnerable moments like just hit different you know like even things like cleaning out my closet like obviously it's you know kind of got played to the point of being poppy and all these things because of how big the record was but just all those songs were like my favorite and and from Pac to X to to M and other influences like those have classically been my favorite moments from artists. And then when I look at my own discography, the times that strike me the most that I'm able to appreciate from my own catalog are those moments where I can tell I really tapped into that, those same qualities and those type of songs. 
and you had shared some honorable mentions and within that is jay-z's hard knock life which i feel is very similar to what we're talking about yeah somebody who's gifted talented um extraordinary his presence on the microphone his flow his delivery his writing is all great but when it combines all that with sharing a part of himself and these yeah. really very detailed stories uh, and then you also added thug's mansion which is another pop song that kind of fits that um, yeah that's like and, my and, team probably 16 17 or something listening to that yeah and, and uh yeah lose yourself is very similar in that way where it's like mm-hmm. the biggest song in the world and everybody knows it but then if you really like go down you see the storyline and you're like, oh this is he's writing a movie in a verse which is wild um and then yeah. when you look at the technical aspect of how he's rhyming yeah like, oh, that's crazy too um that, let's talk about the teen years so up until now you, you you're kind of in in different homes uh you know with your grandparents what were your teen years like so yeah like i think around i think fifth grade is when um you know my dad got a a house and um we moved from just like north north portland ken neighborhood to probably like you know 10 miles west into saint john's um neighborhood and uh, you know finished fifth grade out and then started going to middle school. And this is like that classic transition from elementary school into like the kind of more, uh, more the jungle, like more of the, like kids are starting. It's even a little meaner. You're starting to come into your own identity. You know, this is when I, you know, started fighting and, you know, all these things you go into sixth grade and eighth graders want to initiate you and then finding your circles and, and, you know, puberty's hitting and you're just this when you're really kind of finding yourself, you know, and that's like, you know, fifth, sixth grade. That's when I first started rapping. That's like when I started writing, I was hanging out with my friends and like, they already knew, like, I love being, I wanted to be a writer. Like that was like my first dream always throughout school, like read English, like reading and writing were always my favorite things. So, and I wanted to be a writer at first and I'd write poetry and all these things. And then, you know, kicking it with um, my homies, like at the time going into like, you know, from the St. John's neighborhood and going into middle school, um, like kicking with my boy Deshante, like I was like my, my best friend he was like rapping and stuff already. And he would always try to get me to rap. Like you write poetry. And cause you know, we'd always get into like shit talking back and forth or whatever. And he's like, you should just rap. And I'm like, you rap. Like, I don't, I don't rap. And then, you know, kind of, I don't remember if it was like, all right, I'm going to, because he said it, or if it was the amalgamation of that and being so in love with, with hip hop at the time and, and writing that it was a natural transition like, and I remember like the first rhyme I ever wrote was actually biting one of the first albums I had. Like I had mentioned Rakim, 18th letter. And so I remember I wrote my first rhyme and I hella bit one of his lyrics because I, like, my first rhyme I ever wrote was like four bars. Uh, reach into my pocket and there's nothing but lint. I try to figure how I could get some dead presidents, which is the bitten line. Then I'm like, this is actually original. So I walk into the bank with a nine in my hand. Next thing I know, the judge is saying, approach the stand. <laughs> and I'm like 11 years old, you know, talking about walking into a bank with a nine in my hand, you know what I mean? And that was like the first rhyme I ever wrote. All right, let, let's move into the 20s. What was the first song that you picked for your 20s? 
I believe uh, is is it Lil Wayne Hustler music was the first one. Yeah. So fresh out of high school, like I dropped out of my senior year. Um, I think I was like 18 or something. And then I had like got a job where my dad worked, um, working graveyard shift at an, an aluminum extrusion plant. And when I had worked there, it was like, they're, they're going crazy. So we, I worked like 10 hour shifts, six days a week, putting in like 60 hours. And, uh, I realized quickly, like, I don't know about this. I don't think I want to be doing this long-term. And then there's like, you know, scribble jam comes along. I get accepted into it. I get cleared for overtime or cleared for time off. Then, you know, they go back on that and say, I don't got the time off after my boy bought me a ticket, ended up quitting that job, going and accidentally winning Scribble Jam. So then I'm back. And this is like, as I'm like transitioning into getting my own place, you know, like I think around the world rap championships, I ended actually ended up actually moving out and used that money to like pay rent that I was getting from the world rap championships. And then once I was like in my own house, like I was just, even before I moved out, I was like just nickel and dime bag, like selling, selling weed. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then especially when I got in and got my own space, things started to move a little more and there was more weight involved. And then this is at the time where it's like, I had a long-term, um, uh, my girl at the time, you know, we're super young. We had been together since high school, living in a spot for a few years together and just young love. We were going through it. You know, I was a little dickhead and was just selling hella weed. And so I just remember like riding the bus to the studio or just constantly playing. Like, I had, there was one point where I had a Zoom. It's like the bootleg iPad, iPod. I had a Zoom and like that was the only song on it. And I would just run it back time because it had everything. Like I was selling hella weed at the time. And just like, if the money don't move, then I won't budge, won't budge. No, I won't budge. No, I related to that on a spiritual level so much, like paying rent with, with little like ounce, you know, breaking down ounces and shit, quarter pounds. And that was just like the theme song of my early 20s. That was just, I couldn't get enough of that song. We mentioned kind of the frustrations that the song captures, but it also captures a lot of optimism, right? Like he's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to do this. Like yeah. I am, go- I'm headed for success. Are you riding with me or not? Cause right yes. now, you know, how did that optimism help serve the, the twenties for you as you're listening back? Yeah. I mean, at this point, like I said, my parents have always been super supportive and family and all that, but you know, it's getting to a point too, where I'm doing this rap shit, I'm putting everything into it. And, you know, there's like my mom who's like, that is cool, but she's a little, she's disappointed or sad that I dropped out of high school and there's pressures to like go back and to get a GD and to do all these things. Um, because like to have a fallback plan and all these things, which I know that's just, you know, she's doing her job. But at the time I was just like, there is nothing else. Like, this is what I'm doing. I've been, you know, obsessed with th- this for, you know, this music and doing it now for over a decade. And then before that was, was in love with it for, you know, as a four year old, five, six year old. And so to me, 
there was nothing else that I could do. I'm like, I tried the job for about, you know, six months or whatever before. <laughs> and then I won Scribble Jam. Like I'm getting all these signs and I became, it was like, I had to be my biggest hype man or believer, you know? And even also in my relationship at the time, it was like, yeah, we're getting by, but you know, maybe if you got a job, then, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm getting money to do this. It's like, yeah, but you could have more steady. There was slow days. There was times, you know, and I had to like, that was the biggest part of it was that optimism of like, I'm doing what I got to do, you know, and we we're eating, like we're doing this and there's only going to be more like, are, are you with it or not? That it's perfectly sums up that time period of my life, because I always believed in, I had to be my biggest believer, you know, and, and be delusional at times, you know, as artists, you kind of have to be in order to, to really dedicate your time to this. And that like being a theme song for that optimism with your back against the wall, all that, like that, that definitely sums up an entire era for me. And he's, it's still relevant. What was the second song that you picked for your twenties? So yeah, later in the, in my, in my twenties, it was uh, actually Kendrick Lamar cut you off. My boy, DJ fat boy, shout out fat boy. We, we were doing uh, live streams on Ustream. There's like pre-Twitch and all that. And we were doing live streams where he would DJ, he would play songs. We would interact with people in the chat. I would play my own songs. I'd freestyle, take words from the audience. Mostly would just be getting hella drunk and high and, uh, and rapping. At the time, he had gone on tour with... Uh, E40. He was DJing for E40. And it was when um it was when uh J Rock was opening up for him. And J Rock's hype man was Kendrick Lamar. And I remember when he came back to Portland on tour, he was still, I think, had some some dates left. And he's like, yo, I was kicking in with this fool. I think you would like who's on tour. He's J Rock's hype man, this fool K dot, um, Kendrick Lamar. And he showed me the monster freestyle. He showed me a couple of things, but the first thing he showed me was the monster freestyle of uh, Kendrick. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty crazy. And then he, well, I think Overly Dedicated, it just came out and he showed me something else. And I was like, yeah, that fool is really tight. And uh, he's like, yeah, we could like, we could probably get him on a song. I think we could get him for like, I'll ask, you know? So I go home. And I look him up again and I'm listening to other songs and I list, I pulled up the music video for cut you off. And that it's, it's so, I didn't even realize how thematic a lot of these songs are, but that song, it just hit me different. Like after I heard cut you off, I called fat boy, like this fool is the one like he's, and at this point he's just J rocks hype man. But I'm like, this dude is like, my next favorite rapper like this is crazy and that song for me it's a really vulnerable song and he's talking about his family and drama within his family and relationship and his boys but it's not in a messy way like he's being vulnerable but and and talking directly and talking about all the drama around him coming from people he loves 
but not in a way that is vindictive or or and and, and just comes off vulnerable. And that struck a chord with me so deep of like, there's a lot of things even in my life or whatever, where I'm like, ah, I don't want to rap about that. Or that, you know, if someone heard that, you know, in my family or whatever, that that's, could be disrespectful or whatever. But that rung a bell and was like, you can let down another wall, be vulnerable and speak freely about your relationships and things in your life without doing it in a drama instigating or catty or petty way in a way that just comes across as you having a conversation one-on-one with the listener. And that's how I felt listening to it. I felt like I was his, I felt like I was Kendrick Lamar's like best friend at the time. And he's just venting to me about things that he's going through. And I was like, yeah, cause you had Mark, like Eminem and rock bottom. But then if you look at Eminem, there's a lot of things that are like, you're just petty. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of vulnerability where you're talking about killing your baby mom or you talk about, you know, your, your, your mom doing hella drugs and this, and it was in a different way, but this way showed me that it was like, you could do it respectfully and, and, and as a real person and have a connection with the listener that was next level. And that song for, for me was that. And I remember I called fat boy back and he was like, um, yo, I talked with, you know, folks and you could get, we could get you a Kendrick verse for 2,500. I was hella broke at the time. I'm like, I ain't got it. <laughs> and now I just think about it. I'm like, damn, if I would have had it, that would have been an appreciating asset. <laughs> like, man, I should have, I should have figured out how to get that. When you think back to this time period, the twenties, what do you think about when when you reflect on this time period? I think about you know moving out on my own for the first time. I think about you know really hustling and things and and taking everything I had and putting it into rap, taking L's. I think about, um, you know, my, my girl of seven years leaving me at the time and me living alone in that same town townhouse that we had moved into in St. John's and staying there and going through it, like on an emotional level for like, you know, six to eight months. I think about moving back home to my parents and being ashamed of that. And then getting my own place again, and then new relationships. And I think that's when I started traveling to California and linking with Chase, too. We linked on MySpace. Um, he had just randomly hit me up. Uh, and I started, I like, I heard some of his beats, immediately started writing. I was working with Only at the time. We were like creating, you know, the prototype for the un- Only and Ill album over like mostly Chase beats. And um, then I started taking like road trips down to Sacramento, driving from Portland to Sacramento to link with Chase. Um, and that was probably like, I don't know, like around 09 or something. But that was like, it was all that transition of like moving out, you know, going through it, moving back, hustling, put everything into music and then taking road trips, like borrowing like my stepdad's wit, like, yo, just for the weekend and like driving down to sack and then driving back on like Sunday to make sure he had it to go to work on Monday. And um, 
that was like the beginning of even it was like the inception or the genesis that foreshadowed me like now i live next door to him <laughs> you know to chase and um make music with him nonstop. he's my go-to but that's like really what i think of in my 20s is it was all transition there was a ton of transitions from moving out to moving back in with my parents to you know forming new relationships moving out again the road trips and it was when adulthood and and the freedom really kind of like started setting in and me finding my own voice and that all kind of translated creatively as well that's really dope you said something interesting earlier you said i accidentally won scribble jam (laughs) (laughs) how how was it an accident and and for those who don't know scribble jam is a freestyle competition that would happen every year and it was like the best freestylers around the country and sometimes around the world Mm -hmm. would get together and do like a competition and it was like hosted by a bunch of big names or, you know, especially in the underground. And you won, what was it, 2003 or four? Oh, four. Oh, four. You mm-hmm. win. How did you win accidentally? So, yeah, I mean, you had like cats like Eminem who lost to Juice in the 99 finals and Rhyme Fest won in 03. And it was just a, a hip hop gathering. You know, they had the graffiti uh expo they had b-boy competitions dj battles and so it was like thousands of people there you know it's like it was a festival that took you know it was like a five-day festival or something but i had watched all the vhs's and then the dvds when they came out like i'd go down to 360 vinyl that was downtown is like the hip-hop store and i would go there and buy the newest scribble jam and watch it with my boys and talk about like yo i'm gonna I'm I'm win that one day and I remember like homies being like, yeah, I mean, you're good. Yeah. You know, like, sure. You know? Um, but when I say I accidentally won because I had submitted footage from local battles, I was already battling and winning battles in Portland in order to like get into the prelim, the prelims. So it was like a thing where it was a 32 MC battle, but you could get into a prelims, which was a whole nother 32 MC battle. And then like the top four from the prelims would advance, fill the last four spots of um, the actual scribble jam lineup, which was pretty much like invite only they'd seek out the best talent they could get in there. Um, And I submitted, I heard back and he's like, yo, we, we were down to have you in the prelim battle. And so that was just such a long shot because it was like, okay, I know this is all the best. I just like, I went in there with a goal of, I just hope to make the DVD. Now, what that means is either A, having one of the best battles of the prelims, which would sometimes make the DVD, or making the main stage battle, which didn't guarantee, but very, like, it increased your chances of making the DVD because, like, the DVD wasn't just a, every single battle would make it, it was real. a highlight reel so yeah, it'd be exactly. like maybe a good punchline, and it would have like the person's name at the bottom corner mm-hmm. or whatever yeah it was the and best moment so you were like maybe i get a line yeah. maybe i get yeah. two seconds yeah and so i was like i just i just want to make the dvd like that's that that would be a dream to me to like watch go back and watch all the vhs is all the way up and to have that to actually be there was like transcendent to me, you know, like um, my boy had like p- 
paid for my flight. Like his family, like paid for my flight. Once I got accepted, my boy DJ, and we ended up going out there. And it's like, this is like the homie I'd watch all these with, you know, he was like a hip hop head. I had met basically just from, I think at a battle event one time, and we just connected on some hip hop shit. Fast forward, I'm there. And there's actually like VHS footage he had because he had a little camcorder where the day of he's like, you're going to win. He's pumping me up, but he's like, you're going to win. And he's like, in, we're, I'm like looking in the mirror, like, <sighs> and it's, it's only, he's like, you're going to win. I'm like, we'll see. But I never, it never really crossed my mind that I could win even while it was happening. And I was in the finals, like there was that that never even really entered the realm of possibility in the second round i battled swan and swan was the guy like he, the previous year a lot of people said he might have got robbed against rhyme fest or he was just the guy who had all the momentum he was like on the mtv battles and i remember like a year before me and the homie were in San, santa barbara for a battle same homie dj and he's like He's like, we're, we're talking, I had lost a battle in the semifinals to like Bo Rat or something. Bo Rat ended up winning it all. But we're on the way back in the airport, Santa, Santa Barbara airport. And he was like, I'm like, yo, I, I want to fucking battle this full swan at some point, bro. Like, and he's like, look, I'm your biggest supporter. I believe in you. But if y'all ever battled, like he'd probably smoke you. And I remember like going to the, like being hella bothered and going to the bathroom. And like, I remember like while I was pissing, just drifting and thought, and I'll just be like, this fool doesn't ever even switch up his cadence though. Like I would just say that. And all he'd be doing is calling people like actors, like insert an actor's name. And like, I've thought of that when my boy said that fast forward, he's the one in the crowd and we would watch the brackets. And after the first round, me and Swan had battled last and it was obvious we won. So I looked at him in the crowd and he was like, you're battling Swan next round. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and then I knew I'm making the DVD. Swan, he's got it. And then I ended up using those lines I had basically thought of when my boy had said, you'll never battle him. So then the rest of it, I ended up winning and it was just surreal, you know. I remember watching it at the time and it was like you were floating in the air. <laughs> it was like you were floating in the air and uh, but it but it felt like a coronation. You know, I mean, that's what it was. I mean, you, you got all these people that you admire and respect and look up to and and, and they're just giving you that the, the flowers. So that's a beautiful moment for you. Uh, let's move into the 30s. All mm -hmm. right. What was the first song you picked for your 30s? So this song is actually, I, I picked Lil Wayne, Glory. Glory, to me, still today, is one of the best just straight rap, like just straight rapping at a high level. Like this fool goes insane. And to the point where when I like want to get hyped up to write like a raising the bar or one above session or even like a battle, I'll go back and listen to Glory. And it like gets me pumping like, okay. I want to rap at a high level like this, you know, like there's so many quotables, like, um, like he rhymes off hallelujah, like three different times throughout the verse. Uh, I'm hotter than Honolulu, my clothes and socks and shoes so, new. So. I've been a boo-boo since Gaga Google and Dada boo-boo. <laughs> so, and that's like a slant rhyme off of hallelujah. He like comes off that, 
it's one of those like big choir, like, you know, could be in a Nike commercial type joints. And he, but he absolutely styles all over it. And it's not just this rigid, like back-to-back bar shit. Like he's doing the slant rhymes, like the Honolulu rhyming with hallelujah. And he, it, he does these like transforming rhyme schemes that all go back and forth. And to this day, whenever I really want to get hyped to write something, I'll go back and listen to that. What was the second song that you picked? So the second song I picked for my thirties is actually uh, Mac Miller, Come Back to Earth. Rest in peace. Um, much like Eminem in, in when, when he first came out, I didn't want to listen to it. I didn't want to like him because like the homies or other people would just be like, oh, you're like Eminem or oh, and I, my name was already Mac, Mac. Mac in it. And so when Mac Miller first came out and was buzzing, like people would say like, oh, like Mac Miller or bro, you ever, anyone ever tell you you sound like Mac Miller or that? And I resented it. So I would not, I never listened to Mac early on. Like I robbed myself of that. People would show me shit that was fire. And I'd be like, that's fire. Like uh, free radio freestyles and things. I'd be like, yeah, that's fire. And I like, I remember watching his show on MTV and I'm like, he seems funny. He seems cool. I'm not going to listen to him. I don't want people to think I'm biting, you know? And it was kind of that younger, um, you know, hip hop competitive spirit and, and just not wanting to uh, sound like I'm biting someone. And we had already had the like, you know, quote unquote, white rapper Mac in the name. So I'm like, okay, I can't listen to him. Then it'll just, it might get spooky. So we, I went on tour with Slumville and prior to that, I actually, I was in the car with uh baby Franco chain, formerly uh, uh, Bobby butcher. And he was bumping the divine feminine. And I didn't know Mac Miller was doing music like that, like with the depth and soul and, and vulnerability of that. So again, that's kind of been the theme throughout this. I was drawn to it. Like, wait, what? This is, this is Mac Miller. Like do it from the MTV, you know, reality show. This is, this is him. So I was beginning to open up to him. And then I ended up going on tour with slum village, with slum village um, across the U S opening for them. And I went with uh, my boy only. I went with Chase Moore and Zoo DeVille who like does a lot of the music videos, um, films, all the one above sessions and zoo had and a playlist raps. And, oh, and raps amazingly. He's on the one above sessions. He has his own rap series called Tuesdays. Th- that's like, you know, some radio freestyle shit where he just drops and, and goes crazy. He's an amazing artist too. Young cat. We're on tour and he has like a Mac Miller playlist and he's going through. And it was when the first single for, um, swimming dropped and uh it was self-care i believe and i heard that and there's like a beat switch up and i'm like wait what this is this is mac miller and he's like yeah bro like you're sleeping like i've been telling you mac is nice like and i'm like all right i know i'm late to the party because i've just tried to be you know but i'm like i have to hear more and so i dug you know into his discography started bumping like his more recent things like divine feminine and then that album dropped and i'd copped it immediately 
and was bumping it nonstop. And the very first song, Come Back to Earth, is like not a rap song at all. He's he's just singing and it just immediately like blew my mind. And I, I love that entire album, but that song is the most played by far. I would nonstop play that. And some of the lyrics like, um, my regrets look just like texts I shouldn't send. Like the writing on it is so good. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> and I had just like started making a lot of music with Chase Funny enough, that's like there's a group of songs where it's like no rapping. It's just more melodic and things. So then I hear that and like a part of that little piece kicked in of like, damn it, are people going to think that I'm just like biting Mac Miller now when I come out just with more sing, you know, singing type songs. But that song I could not stay away from. And um, basically like Mac had showed me love, me and Thesaurus love in the past. Like he had reached out on Twitter and then like quoted something from um, like the world rap championships, I think it was. And uh, he seemed hella cool. So when that album came out, I was bumping that song nonstop. And um, one night I was in Portland and I was like having almost like an emotional moment listening to that song. Like this song is special, man. This is like song of the year. So I decided to DM him and I hit him up and was like, yo bro you know you know you don't really know me like that but bro this song to me is like song of the year i absolutely love this song it's good to see you really growing and doing things as an artist like this is inspiring it's my favorite song of the last year at least the next morning i go to sleep and i woke up the next morning to the news that he had passed away and that shit hit me crazy like the night before is when i dm'd him i left a comment on one of his posts that kind of said the short version of the same thing and uh i was like hella emotional like it was crazy i had just just really over the course of the month prior two months prior like really been diving in and becoming such a big fan and that song really struck a, an emotional chord with me and then i reached out in the very next day you know, that news came out. And then now I thought about that and I'm like, damn, well, that happened like last night. That and that was when I reached out to him. And I was visiting Portland at the time, because I live in LA. And uh I remember just like going on a drive for like a few hours and getting emotional. And that was actually when I started writing, raising the bar 11. And I, I know this is just for you to see, but it's like I got this is like part of the artwork from the come back to earth uh like single cover and stuff actually bobby tatted that and then i have like a doorway that's like space and like a little astronaut like coming out like tatted and that was like an homage to him and that song really because that was like transformative for me and it was another one of those classic moments that opened my mind to be able to like don't be afraid of doing this more melodic stuff you've been making it in damn near secret you know like and and afraid to share it because people associate me with rappy shit. And it's kind of that artist thing of what are people going to think? What are fans going to think? And hearing that song made me realize, like, just let the walls down and create freely. One of the lines that stands out to me from Come Back to Earth is, I was drowning, but now I'm swimming through stressful waters to relief. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I know you've 
you talked a little in this podcast about what life was like coming up and, you know, being split between mom and dad and, and struggling through trying to find yourself and, you know, the self doubt, but then the confidence to help get through that and where you are now. And, and when you think about a line like that, I was drowning, but now I'm swimming through stressful waters to relief. And you think about your thirties. What, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about when you think about where you are now? Yeah. Over the last, you know, handful of years, like my thirties, like that's when I moved, you know, when I was 29, 30 years old, like that's when I moved to LA. I was, it was another, it was another transitional period where I was getting out of another long-term relationship coming off of that. And also realizing that my city, I love my city. I love Portland, but that I, w- I was already traveling to California and that's where I do all my music was with Chase directly. And once, you know, getting at, like breaking up with my last relationship and having to end up moving back again, back home to moms and shit. It was like this like period where I'm like, why am I here? Like, why am I here? I'm happiest and most productive and work the most and do the most positive things when I'm in Cali, when I'm with Chase, when I'm able to have my independence. And like, I, there was periods in my life, like with Sam people, you know, one of the first groups I was in when I was young in Portland, where I would just couch surf for months at a time, go home to do laundry or something, come back, you know? And, and so at this time, Chase had, had got a spot in, um, in the Valley. And he was like, why don't you just come here? You can sleep in the studio as long as you need, figure it out when you get here and going through what I was going through in Portland. I was like, at the time I was recording songs on my own iPad, like nonstop. And I was doing more emotional songs and and playing with my voice more because I had my own way of recording. So it was like, no one else had to hear it. I could just do these things in private and expand. And and there's a lot of emotional things that I could put in songs and from the safety of like solitude. And he was like, why don't you just come here? And I really thought about it. I'm like, why not? So I moved to Cali and just slept on his couch pretty much for like a year before in the studio, literally living in the studio. And that's the time when 667, all the music came to fruition, all the music with Bobby, Chase, with the whole squad, Zoo. And that was another, probably the biggest growth period for me creatively was just being in that moment. And when I think of like my thirties, the, 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 the mental highlight reel that comes to mind is me moving literally just live couch surfing again for you know a year and dedicating my entire life to just getting better at my craft and absorbing and learning all these things and i think it was my biggest jump in growth as far as my music was this time because it was the commitment of coming out here and then the people that i was in the room with uh, you know Shout out to baby Franco chain. He was a big influence on me. I learned so much through about 
you know, melodies and, and, and utilizing my voice more, working with him directly as well, Chase being in there even, even more of an influence, you know? So that's like what I really think about is leaving town and going all in again. It was like, okay, I had a reset. Now I need to go. I'm putting all my chips in again and I'm coming out here and I'm seeing what happens. And that's like where I'm at now. Seeing what, what happens and, it, yeah. it, you know, swimming through all that um, stressful waters to find and some relief. To find some relief. And there's been so much that's happened, especially recently, but over the last year or two, that's just new, new achievement levels unlocked to where it's like, okay, all these things were for a reason. I can see it now. Growing up, you know, up until even the last couple of years, even more recently than that, even this last year, I always couldn't like say, I want to have this level of independence or this much money or this type of house. And through music, I'm going to get that. But I could never really see it, which means I never really believed it. I, I, I just kind of said something in my head and just hoped like, yeah, let me just focus on rapping. I'm hoping. But as of this last even, you know, year or so, it's like, oh, this is not only possible, it's happening. And now I see it. I see the details. And now it's just, you know, tracing those steps. The difference between like hoping and then actually planning and executing. Exactly. Exactly. And envisioning it. Yep. All right. So when you look back at all of these songs and, you know, the stories that we talked about today, what, what are um, some of your biggest takeaways from the music and then also just kind of your journey? Um, it actually it's crazy because I, I never had really sit back and like audited these these and have these conversations with myself. So. I didn't realize how relevant some of the most influential songs and moments were to me and how my music style and my my best creation kind of mirrors all all those favorite moments. Um I never realized that the reason I am a that I can listen and appreciate my own music when it's most vulnerable was because that was what I sought out in other artists. I never made that connection. And um, it's kind of mind blowing because I'm on a year passing of wanting to create, or having started and created Winter. And that's the last album of a four album series based on the seasons. I started with spring, did summer, did autumn that dropped about a year ago and winter. Winter, I've been had enough songs, more than enough songs for. Since last year, I had more than enough songs, but it's my most vulnerable. So I just want to, and it's this thing of like, I've been putting off, putting it out because I just want to get it right needs to be perfect in my mind. It's like, this is the final chapter. This seasons thing is more than just labeling something seasons and adding some sound effects. Like it's a story being told. Like the story we talked about today from teens through to now, 
that's my seasons series. Winter is the, the 30s, essentially. It is that transition, the transition from relationships into spring and everything is full circle. And that's where I'm at now. And this conversation actually, I think, might help me unlock the inspiration I need to just commit and put it out because I have more than enough, like I said, and it's all my most vulnerable music. So I think when I look at that and I look at these songs and the conversation we had today, I can take away of just like let go, make the music that you're the biggest fan of and you can't go wrong. This has been another episode of My Years Through My Ears. Special thanks to my guest for being a part of this series and thank you for tuning in. The theme song for this series was created by Atmosphere. The song that you're hearing is called Anybody That I've Known and it was used with permission from Slug, Ant, and Rhyme Sayers Entertainment. Tune in soon for a new episode. Like, subscribe, and do whatever else podcast hosts usually ask for. It truly does make a difference. Until next time, I'm out. Or as my son likes to say, Peace out.